Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And thank you to everybody that's left ratings, reviews, all of that. We have three new ones on Apple, but guys, we will get to that next week because when you get the GOAT, Friend of the podcast. This is maybe my favorite thing to do is Keith has given Omari and Wes and I the go ahead to call him friend of the Pistons Pulse podcast. When you get Keith Smith on from Track, where you should be going for all your cap, trade machine, all of that stuff, go there. The front office show podcast, which you can watch on YouTube, lives on Fridays. Keith has a little shot. Keith, I was going to ask you, can you do a Pistons Pulse Sunday for us? But I thought that's your guys' thing. (laughs) I think they're like almost to 30,000 subscribers over there, all of that. Make sure you listen into that every day on podcast. We're joined by Keith Smith. That's, that's the long version of we are joined by the man, Keith Smith. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. That's uh, far too kind for you to, to give me yeah. all the, that, those kudos coming in. But I, I'm wondering, did you guys sit down like as a group and decide, man, we should bring Keith in and give him some reps like Jaden Ivey style? Is that what happened here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. We are going to talk Jaden Ivey, Keith. First of all, I want to ask you this. I know what your hat means because I've asked you this multiple times and you're probably like, Bryce, can you just remember? And I'm like, Keith, I'm getting old, man. Like, here, how is your daughter doing? I know I don't want to spoil all the information, but I just know she was on her middle school team, crushed it. She's amazing. Got asked to go to the high school team. Now she's playing on the high school team as an eighth grader or something. Like, how's that going? Yeah. So the FA stands for Foundation Academy here in, in Central Florida. She is, uh, yeah, she's an eighth grader. Her middle school soccer team went undefeated this year to 12-0-1, one tie, 0-0 tie. And they only allowed uh, two goals all season. And one of them was an own goal. She is the goalkeeper. So she, she had a great season. Now she's joined the varsity team for the rest of their year. They're uh, getting back to it after some, we've had the same for Florida, the same storms everybody else has had, which just means a ton of rain and mess for us. And so they've been a little delayed, but they've got a couple games left to go and then state tournament. So we're, we're super proud of her. I appreciate you asking because, you know, eighth grader being on the varsity, that, that that's a big deal no matter where you're at. So super proud of her and she's really excited to get going. No, that's awesome, Keith. That's big, big time for her. So huge congrats. And before we move on to talking some of these juicy piston subjects that I know people are desperate to hear about. How warm is it down where you are? Because I just checked my phone and it's like five degrees with wind chill here, which is officially winter. <laughs> yeah. So I've been between Central Florida and Southern California for the last 20 years. So like cold to me now is like anything under 70 starts to feel chilly. <laughs> so this morning I will say it was cold for us. It was in like the mid 40s. 
which is, that's pretty cold for us. And so, yeah, I was pretty well bundled up this morning when I, I ran out to grab coffees. But yeah, it's, it's I'm not going to say anything for it because no one wants to hear it for most <laughs> viewing and listening area. But, you know, 90% of the country is like cold, get out of here. Tough enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I think I'm colder than you, Amari. We're we're negative. I, I had to drive to the yeah. store I own this morning and it was it was negative one essentially the whole drive. The nice thing was no wind today, which is the major difference. And then as Amari knows, Keith, you may know this. I am a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. So they got a win. Hopefully the Lions get a win today and all of that if you're listening live on Sunday. But it was like a negative 20-something wind chill in Arrowhead. And, and the, the funny thing is they told people to bring cardboard boxes to stand on. And I never because the cement, standing on the cement is what gets you with your feet just freezing. So shout yeah. out those people that got to go. I, don't, I, I had a chance to go and I'm like, no, I'm not going to go to that. But yeah, the weather right now is crazy. And the Detroit Pistons right now are a little bit crazy as well, Keith. So let's go back in time. We're going to we're going to move through this chronologically, but we're going to go back to the offseason because I want to build this up to where it's at now and then where we can go with it. So let's just start with this. They hire Monty Williams of all the things they did this offseason. This kind of was the one that seemed like a home run, big win. Owner Tom's Gore, you know put out all the money, you know, highest paid coach, been surpassed now. What were your initial thoughts whenever that all happened this past offseason? Initially, I felt like this is great. The Pistons are paying up to get a coach because there's there's always a thought with this is not unique to the Pistons, but with a lot of teams of keep the money on the floor, right? Uh, it's kind of stealing that quote from Moneyball of keep the money on the field. But there's a thought of if you really invest into the coach, then that's saying something, right? Because that's you, you, you have no cap on that. There's nothing that should hold you back. So my initial thoughts were pretty good. Hindsight being 2020, I started to think if you had to keep going back and adding years and dollars and told you no, we don't, I don't think it's ever really come out how many times he exactly said no, but we do know he turned it down at least once. I have twice. And then you had to go back to him and keep upping the offer, that probably should have been a huge red flag. And I'll be honest and say, I kind of overlooked it because I was like, hey, they they got it done. But yeah, it's at the time, it felt like it was really good for them to move things forward because it felt like this was a step forward season coming for the Pistons versus kind of turning into, all right, we're doing more of the same with the rebuilding kind of stuff. Keith, I was going to ask how your opinions changed on it, but the team has three wins. So, you know, I'm sure we could probably guess which way that opinion has trended. I guess what's maybe besides just the record itself, maybe surprised you the most just about why this partnership has gone south. I think a lot of Pistons fans were in the same frame of mind. Like Tom Gores did what he had to do to get, you know, a coach who recently won coach of the year and, we saw what he did with Phoenix where they went 8-0 in the bubble and then they get Chris Paul and kind of take off. Uh, on, on paper, it just seemed like a good fit. Just what do you think? That's kind of led the team to this point where it just seems like it's an awkward marriage at this point. Yeah, I think what is most frustrating for me is the idea of it's it's one thing of coming in, you have some injuries and things maybe don't go the way you're hoping to personnel wise and all those things. But I think it's the rotation decisions. That's what's frustrated me the most. The idea of, I mean, I joked about it earlier, but 
the whole idea of Jaden Ivey wasn't even in the mix early on. Like, what is that all about? Like, what are we doing? Like, this guy was one of the bright spots of the team a year prior. Clear, is he a perfect player? No, he's not. But he's young. He's young guard. Guards often take time. And then that that got super messy. And then it was like, all right, we're going to throw Kevin Knox in there as a starter. Okay, that didn't work for a game. So now we're going to go with two bigs. That's not working. So now we're going to go with a bunch of wings. And it was just this mishmash of stuff where it was almost like, the reaction you have to, man, this didn't work one time, so I got to go away from it. And it felt like nothing stuck. There was no consistency. Some of that fully owned, driven by injuries and availability of players, but a lot more of it felt like it was just we're we're doing different stuff. And it's fine to try things, but but it's more fun to try things in February, March, and April than it is in November. It's like November, let's try to build a little consistency here. And then I, I just don't understand with the young players in and out of the rotation and in and out of the starting lineup. The starting lineup thing is one thing, but if you're playing 25, 30 minutes as a starter, and then two games later, you're not playing it all off the bench, I just don't get it. So that's been the thing that has frustrated me most with with the Pistons was it felt like, Pretty early on, I think we could all see, all right, season's not going to go well. It's not going to be a good year. So at least let's lock into our guys and kind of go. And that's when I wrote about them on Track. that's what a lot of it was based around was you got to have some hard conversations and then you got to lock into some guys and play guys regular minutes because otherwise you're never going to know what you have and know how they fit together. So before we dive more into why it hasn't been a good year or maybe some bright spots, like we can get a little bit positive if, there, if there's some things. I want to go back to why, why did it not work? You said early on in the year, we could see it wasn't going to work. They traded for Monte Morris. He hasn't played. Should they have known that? Boyan's 34. Should they have not counted on him as much as they did? Burks is played better lately, but had a not a great start. They you know, brought in Joe Harris as essentially a salary dump and all that. Looking back now with the information we have, which is a little bit unfair, but that's what we can do. Do you think it was a complete miscalculation? Did they completely blow the offseason? Or do you look back now and say, yeah, maybe, but I don't have a great answer for what they should have done, not knowing could you sign uh, Kyle Kuzma or you know, this player or trade for that player. What, what are your thoughts on that, Keith? Yeah, I think if we go back even a few months earlier than that, it really started at the trade deadline when they made the decision, we're not going to trade Bogdanovich and Burks. And at the time, it felt like there was one of two things at play. Either they held on to too high of an asking price or just nobody met with a reasonable offer. If it was the first that's probably not great, right? Not saying you just got to give those guys away, but that's probably not very good. If it was the second, oh, guys, we get breaking news with the Pistons. Okay, let's go. The Pistons and Wizards are finalizing a deal to trade Marvin Bagley, Isaiah Livers, and two second-round picks for Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. Mm, Yeah. Woe's bomb live on the pot, so I'm going to – I'm gonna get some work done and see if I can do this in pot at the same time, but I may have to may have to pivot a little bit here. Let's see. Okay, so Marvin Bagley, who essentially has been out of the rotation, Keith, yep. until recently he played a game. Isaiah Livers, who truly has not been good as much as we have kind of been fans of his and wanted him to be good. What is the play here? What is 
what so Gallinari and Mascala, like what what's what's our contract situations with these two? What do these guys have left? H- how does this make sense? Two expiring contracts make very little money. They, they only make about ten million combined. The two of them between Mascala and Gallinari. So. My guess is this was about wiping the extra year of Bagley off the books. That's why you're putting the second round picks in there because player for player, this is about an even swap. It's it's a, I don't want to be rude. And, and anytime I say this, trust me, nobody needs to reply and say they're all better than you. No kidding. So, is, you know, <laughs> especially at my age and, you know, packing on a few extra pounds. These guys are all way better than me and way better than I could ever have dreamed of being. These guys are all okay players, right? None of them are lighting the world on fire. None of them are guys you're going to be like, let's go, let's plug them all into, you know, all-star stuff. I, Bagley, I don't know, man. I I still want to believe. <laughs> like, I, I I want to. I just, it's probably that's misplaced hope. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, you wipe that 12.5 million off the books next year, that's going to get them to, well, let me do some quick math here on the fly. Take that away. And you're at fifty million in cap space conservatively for next season. If you move a couple more salaries, you're you're up over sixty million. Now, Bryce, that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. What are you gonna do with that cap space? So yeah. They're gonna eat more veteran contracts because to me, that can't fly. That cannot be the strategy again. I'm not saying you gotta go all in and go sign, you know, the tier two, three free agents to major contracts, but just the idea of, hey, let's just rent our cap space for a couple more middling assets, that probably can't be the play. But yeah, I mean, this is a, the, you created a lot more flexibility at the cost of relatively nothing, I would think. I want to see what the second round picks are before I would fully go there, but... Yeah, that's I want to see because their second round pick just went to... The Raptors in that trade between the Raptors and the Knicks. Correct. But they have, I believe, the Wizards second round pick this year, which is still a very valuable second round pick. Grizzlies. We'll see. Because that could okay. end up closer than we thought originally. That's yes, true. One yeah, of the that, that, it's going to be good a good point. one. No matter what. Yeah. And so I don't, am I wrong here for not liking the idea of trading like a, one of like that second round pick? Just because here's the thing this all comes together where they traded, I mean, it wasn't a lot for Marvin Bagley, but Trey Lyles is in the rotation. As much as Pistons fans didn't love Isaiah Trey Lyles. Livers. No, I mean for oh, to get got it, Marvin got it, Bagley. Got it, got it. I got what you're yeah, saying now. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I'm going back a little bit. Yeah. They, they traded Trey Lyles to get Marvin Bagley. They signed Marvin Bagley to this contract, and now you're essentially having, like, from this, it sounds like you're having to pay to get rid of that contract. And it's almost like, is that to open up minutes just to give James Wiseman more time who you traded Sadiq Bey to get? Like, this is where all of these things are starting to come to a head on their surface by themselves, maybe not like into the world. But now as we see some of the repercussions, I'm like, man, this doesn't seem like great process. Yeah, I would hope. So the Pistons have a couple extra second round picks that are down the line. Like they have a Milwaukee pick. They have a uh, less favorable of Brooklyn and in Dallas. Those are 27 and 29. If it's those two picks. Okay. I'm fine with that to clear the 12 million. Is it an admission of failure to some extent of we did not get, get this done you know, with this trade, this trade didn't work trade in subsequent contract didn't work. I, I know you remember for sure. Both of you guys, 
I was critical of that contract at the time because I didn't understand who they were bidding against. It felt like you paid Marvin Bagley way more than you needed to by a measure of, in my opinion, I felt that was almost twice what I thought he was going to get as a free agent that year. So that was always a little tough to swallow anyway. But all right, if you get out of a couple second round picks here to get out of that contract. But again, this is going to be, and I'll write about this trade a little bit later today now, it is, you're, we're not going to be able to write the book on this trade until we see what they do with the extra $12.5 million in cap space. If it's, hey, let's go, I, I'm, I'd have to really scour through my cap sheets. But if it is trade for the equivalent of Joe Harris again and get another second-round pick, then we're just, the, the, you're, you're, now you're back to right where you were. If it is, use that to get something of real value, then that could be. So this this isn't a bad move. I don't have any real issue with it, but I, I it's certainly not going to do a whole lot for you now. Muscala has a different dimension from their other bigs because he can shoot. He can space the floor a little. I have a feeling Gallinari probably gets bought out. That would be my guess. He he looks a little. He, he's looked looked looks kind of rough with Washington and hasn't been playing for them recently. But we'll we'll see. I just. You know, Isaiah Livers feels like that almost may, might be addition by subtraction. You're kind of taking taking it out. I, I'm going to use my second Moneyball reference here. Of I love you know, it. One of my you, favorite movies. <laughs> you take uh, Mike Mike Mag- Magnante out of the mix. Now at least Livers isn't in the mix because I've just never been. I've always liked him more theoretically than what he actually sure. is. So hey, if this opens up more minutes for Thompson and uh, other young kids, let, let's go. Now that's a win in and of itself. So my initial thought was like, okay, these are two bigs who theoretically can space the floor a little bit, right? Like if there's one thing, these two guys, Mascala and guy, and I, and I realize like this isn't a long-term play for either sure. one, but maybe you take out a big in the rotation in Bagley who has been in and out of the rotation and you trade. But the thing is like looking just at B-ball reference and I know their play-by-play stats aren't always exact. It looks like these two are relegated to just playing the five anymore like it's not like you can put them in at the four so it's you're still like you're gonna play Duran at the five I assume part of this is you're gonna play James Wiseman I I don't know like the only thing that kind of gets me a little bit is okay maybe you have a couple floor spacing bigs you can now add into the rotation that's not huge it's not mind-blowing but it's a little bit of a step in the right direction of what I would like to see them try and do I I guess for me, and Omari, I apologize. I know you're trying to work, so I'm not trying to oh, it's keep all you good. From, I'm, from talking yeah. here on your own no, show. Would, yeah. <laughs> Everybody it's knows that you give good. me the mic, I'm going to go, man. You want me, especially <laughs> the trade, I will, like, we might be here all Please morning now. Keith, Keith, this oh, might yeah. be the best <laughs> moment in the Pistons Pulse history. Not only did a trade happen live, but we had you on when it happened. Like, there's no way this could have got any better other than for Amari, who... <laughs> If you're watch, you have guys, you have to come watch on YouTube because Amari is glued into the screen, but you can tell his <laughs> eyes are not on the episode. It has nothing to do I with love me it. and Keith. My eyes are everywhere. <laughs> I've been there, man. It's been a little bit. So I've seen a couple of questions in the chat or comments too. Is Gallinari's not a four anymore? He can't, he can't defend in space. He's yeah. really a positional defending five at this point in his career. He's not, he's, he's, just kind of how when you're playing him, you really you play him against backup units 
where he's not going to get overpowered. He can't switch anymore. He just can't move. He just doesn't have the foot speed to do those things because you kind of play him as a drop five and and you kind of kind of run through it that way. With that, Muscala, somebody said he's a stretch four. He's a stretch, stretch five. five now. Yeah, stretch yeah. five fully. So I think what you do is Duren's going to play 30, 35 minutes a night, right? You're going to be in that range with him. Then you mix and match. If you need a little bit more shooting on the floor, throw Muscala out there. I wouldn't mind seeing them run some against second units with Cunningham and Muscala. Just give Cunningham a floor spacer out there, obviously, when he gets back, of course. And then you kind of go go from there. And then you know, we'll see. I wonder if maybe this opens up the opportunity to say, hey, we're going to try to give Stewart more minutes at the five, you know, in lineups where Duren's off the floor and I, they think we're all okay with that. I think that's yes. probably ideal is where I see, see Isaiah Stewart's fit. So it, there, I have no issues really with this. Now, if they give up one of their own picks or another one, like that's too, too much. Like that's that, that, then that gets a little silly there. So let's hopefully it was, you know, a couple of those lesser picks and, and we'll go. I'm sure that'll come out, you know, within the next couple hours here, but yeah, it's, it's one of those trades where, the biggest thing the Pistons got is you got off $12.5 million in salary for next season. Okay, we're going to go to a short break. When we come back, we're going to dive into this a little bit more. Let's continue with this. Let's let's put a bow on it. And then we'll try to regroup and see if we can get into the, the rest of the outline. And obviously this changes some things, but a lot of the things we're going to talk about still stands. So we'll get back into this after the short break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, I know you're used to hearing Amari after the breaks. I, I don't know what Amari's doing. He's smiling. He looks yeah. happy. And, you yeah, know, I'm just in a, like, I'm going to take you guys through. So whenever news breaks, it's mostly just, you know, depending on how the news came out in this instance, well, shot it. So I'm confirming, you know, just texting people uh, to get info on the trade. And I'm actually about to start working on a story here soon. Bryce, I could actually lead off with the question here for Keith Smith just to do my part, and then I'm probably going to disappear for like five to ten minutes. But stay, I'm still going to try to do trade, both. Stay on this trade, though. Stay on this trade. Ask. Do you have yeah. a question? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Absolutely. So I guess you know my my sense of of, of this trade is that it's just kind of set the table going forward. You know, uh, and obviously just getting off of Marvin Bagley's contract. Is this to you? Does this send maybe the right signal just for where this team is now? Like, let's just maybe not make moves to you know, correct this season, but more so just set the, the table to get this thing on the right track going forward beyond this season. I, I think so. I, I think your my worry for the Pistons is if there's any sense that Troy Weaver is on the hot seat, and I feel like there probably is, you don't want to go into the trade deadline with making moves that can are like, let me save my job moves. Like, let's go trade for Zach Levine and in in the process, let's move two young kids we really like or something like that. That's the wrong kind of thing to be doing here. Moves like this that are clearly, this will affect little to nothing 
upon this season's result, but you cleared out twelve point five million in cap space. Okay, that's that's fine. You you pass off Livers' restricted free agency decision to another team. Fine, no issue with that either. You just kind of kind of move and you create some some flexibility going forward that you didn't have. I don't know, 10 minutes ago, whatever it was when this came out. So I think I think that's the kind of smart move that you make to just kind of get things moving in a direction. What this also says to me is this trade did not return anybody who is going to be a long-term piece for the Pistons. So this may signal Bogdanovich, Burks, Morris, Harris. They could all be moving too. And that, that's not a shock, right? I think we all knew that anyway, but I think this tells the story maybe a little bit more of, hey, we may be kind of saying, all right, we're going to move some of these guys. Again, don't have to give them away because especially like in the case of Bogdanovich, you've got them under contract for next year at a really fair number. Even this version of him, which is a slightly dis- diminished version, but just kind of kind of keep things moving a little bit. This is this to me signals, hey, we're we're – in it for the long haul here a little bit more than making short-sighted immediate moves to try and get an upgrade to win five more games the rest of the season or something. That that to me would have been a huge mistake. And that, and I'm glad at least with this first one, let's knock on wood here. I did it very lightly so our dogs don't go bananas. Uh, but <laughs> let's uh let's let's do that and make sure we don't then make some kind of all-in crazy move that looks like, well, wait a minute, why did we trade Thompson and Ivy for this guy, whoever that may be. All right, we're going to regroup this a little bit, Keith, because we do have some people tuning in live right now. And so if you're listening on podcasts, I do have a little bit of apologies here. We're kind of just figuring this out on the fly. This doesn't happen to us very often. So MB Wells said, please lay out the details clearly. So let's recap this real quick. I'll lay it out, Keith, and then you add anything that I miss. This is Mike Muscala and Danilo Gallinari going from the... Wizards to the Pistons, the Pistons sending out Isaiah Livers, Marvin Bagley III, and two second-round picks, which I still don't think we have clarification on what those second-round picks are unless you've seen something, Keith. Omari's shaking his head, so we don't have that yet. Maybe by the end of the show. If not, I'm sure it'll come out later. Oh, it it just came out. Okay, perfect. Now it jumped. Sorry, I'm on TweetDeck, so you know how that goes. 2025 and 2026 second round picks. So that means those are, let's see. Sorry. No, uh, you're you're good. The 2025 pick is all right. So there's a weird conditions here. It's it's probably it, there's a bunch of conditional picks with swaps involved. It could be Detroit's pick, it could be Golden State's, it could be Washington's. So we'll see. Then it was a 2026 pick, which they've got the less favorable of like Minnesota, New York, Pelicans, and Portland. So it's not going to be any of because their own picks are already tied up. Okay. So, and it's not like it's going to be a messy couple picks. Yeah. I, I knew they had some second round picks that were just kind of crazy looking and trying to figure out how they conveyed and who they conveyed to and. All of those different things. I like, I feel a little better that it's not one this season where, like I say, that 2024 second round pick is going to be, even though it's not their own, the two teams that it's the higher of are both not performing very well right now. Let's go through a couple of these some specific questions about Gallo, which we've talked about a little bit. You said it right off the top. 
you feel like Gallo is Gallo more of a potential buyout candidate than Mascala? Do you think? And why would that be, Keith? I think he just makes uh, more money, and I think okay. he is at the point of his career where we're we're near the end. There, there's probably a couple years left at most for him, and I think he would love to get to a contender to finish it out. He's also the new buyout rules are really restrictive. Like, oh like, yeah, yeah. It was about Gordon Hayward the other day about how he might get bought out by the Hornets, but he can't sign with anybody who's over the tax apron because you apron teams, and that's either the first or second apron, can't sign a player who makes more than the mid-level exception. Well, Gallo makes far less than that. So he he he's an option for anybody. And I think for a contending team, if he's like your third or fourth forward, you can just kind of throw him, throw him in the mix there. And you're fine. If that's what you are, if you need him for 10 minutes a night, you're probably okay. On the Pistons, he just doesn't have a real place because he, he's, uh, he's just not going to play enough to matter. Muscala, I think, is slightly different. He could play a real role as a floor spacing big. They don't have that anymore on, or at all on this roster, really. So he could do that. He doesn't make a lot of money. And he could be somebody I think you could even see there could be interest in maybe we try to retain him on a fair deal after the season where Gallo feels like that if you keep him, you're keeping him for the next few months, then he's off into free agency no matter what. So Tone brings up an interesting question. He, or he makes a statement. We lost this deal talking about the Pistons. I, I think I tend to agree with you, Keith, that I don't know that you lost it. I think where you lost it is like you essentially end up having to pay to get off of Bagley's money when you and you talked about this where you kind of outbid yourself to give him the contract that you gave him so i think that's where maybe losing that we have one here keith we love you you just appear and bring some big news <laughs> yeah i mean like listen sure. if we if we want something to break we just got to bring you on the pod like you're talking about if you go <laughs> to a movie that's when pascal oh, siakam will, the re in case you guys don't know the reason Pascal Siakam has not been traded is because Keith Smith hasn't gone to see the movie he was talking about seeing. And until that happens, Pascal's not going to be <laughs> traded. Doug McMiniman, who I know is a big listener Doug, to the Dave. front office. Doug, not Dave. This year's pick goes to Toronto. Yes. So the 2024 second round Detroit pick goes to Toronto, but Detroit owns the better of, I believe it's the better of, the Wizards or the Grizzlies second round pick. And then adding to all of this, the Pistons and Wizards play Monday night. So I, I assume these guys won't be ready to suit up and play. Gallinari shooting for just what Tweeps have been saying we needed. Let's touch on this again. We've talked about it a little bit. I don't think either of us believe these guys are really four men anymore. Yeah, I don't, especially defensively. No, I'm going to say this and, and I know everybody will get it. I'm not trying to be rude, but it doesn't really matter how Brady plays defensively. If you just need to open up the floor a little bit, sure, you can play Gallo. At yeah, the floor, yeah. Right? Like, I have no problem with that. It's not, it's not like you're locking down, you know, teams anyway. So why not get a little more offense on the floor out there? I'm all for the Pistons when Cade Cunningham is back, trying to play Gallinari, trying to play Muscala, put some more shooting around him in certain lineups. Don't play the two of them together as your backup front court. That would be a disaster. But yeah, if you put a little bit more shooting on the floor with Cade, right, right. Everybody's saying that's what that's you know what you want to do anyway. So yeah, no, no real issues with that. I, I think though this is more about it's not more about this is solely about clearing out that twelve point five million for Bagley for next year. There's there's not it's 
this is a classic NBA trade where a lot of people will say, why? Like, well, why are you doing this? And it's, this is, they always say 90% of NBA trades for one team or another that's involved are about the salary cap. And that's what this is about for the Pistons. This isn't really all that big of a basketball trade because these guys are just, they're not at the point of their careers where they're going to have huge impacts on a team like Detroit. So YouTube user, play Boyan and Galley together. The defense would be amazing. <laughs> like, listen, we, we, we got to keep things light when we can. So Get your fantasy well, guys in against that lineup for sure. <laughs> hey, listen, like maybe they should just lean into let's score a bunch of points. The defense doesn't look like it's going to come together. Yeah. Let's see how good you can be on offense. Yeah. And to your point, Playing Muscala at the four, maybe it's a disaster defensively, but at least he spaces it. Amari, I think you took a break from writing here, either had a question or you're ready to chime in here for a little bit. (laughs) No, just give us some perspective from Detroit's end. So we talked about the cap space element, and I think that probably gives them the neighborhood of 55 to 60 this offseason, which uh, positions them for uh, two big pieces instead of one. So I think whether they make that, those types of swings before the trade deadline or during the summer remains to be seen. But uh, I think it was important for them to just create that room now so that they're a little bit more malleable going forward. And then I just think Mascala and Gallinari as well. You're just adding two more vets to a very, very, very young room. And they're both expirings. But I think just getting some more adults in the room essentially was something this front office wanted to do. And giving up the two seconds for Bagley, uh, this is just me me speaking. I think that just kind of shows maybe the misplaced value and how they built this roster so far where you trade for Duran and then, I mean, I'm sorry, you trade for Bagley and then you sign Bagley to that deal and you probably outbid yourself and then you draft Duran and then you trade for Wiseman <laughs> and now you're giving up additional assets to get off of the Bagley pick and I guess TBD on if they're able to retain or want to retain Wiseman this summer. But, you know, I think regardless of that, I think there is an acknowledgement that the big man rotation just doesn't work. You know, Muscala can play some four. He can shoot the ball. Gallinari, probably not a four at this point. But, you know, I, I don't even think he's had that good of a season, really. But, like, we've just watched him for the last 15 years or so. We know what he can do from a shooting standpoint. I think he had a good game against the Pistons last year, even. So maybe he'll hey, come back hey, to the LCA. That, that kind of always <laughs> happens, Amari. Can yeah, like I remember Joe Harris. Thing with Gallo, too. His yeah. agent is uh, Michael Tellum. So yeah. they're going to do right by Gallo, whatever it is he wants. If if it's buy me out and get me somewhere to to a contender where I can go, we'll we'll then I I think we'll see that. I I think now what's interesting, and this is I'm just full on spitballing here, but is Boston did not want to trade Gallinari in the Porzingis trade. They wanted to keep him. They had to to match salary in that deal. I think now that he's gone to a third team, if he's bought out, he could return to Boston. And Brad okay. Stevens just said he wanted a wing with size that can shoot. Gallo is a bench vet to come in and be, you know, a guy who could maybe give you 10 minutes here and there. I wouldn't be surprised if there could be something there. I will say, though, Gallo was pretty PO'd about being traded by the Celtics. <laughs> like he made comments about I'm circling those games and all this stuff. So we'll see. But we all know, you know, feelings are only hurt in the NBA as far as the very next contract. And then then everybody feels pretty good again. So 
I mean, the Celtics are the number one team in the East. I, I can't imagine it would, you know, it, yeah. I, I might be able to get over a lot of things if it meant potentially winning an NBA championship. Todd Dex has got to think deeper, fellas. They aren't going to get big free agents. Expiring contracts are trade, trade ships. So my question, is there a team in the NBA that has more expiring contracts right now than the Pistons? I mean, Boyan is essentially, right? I know it's not the same, but it's only $2 million guaranteed. Burks. Harris is expiring. These two guys are expiring. I mean, there's a ton of money in terms of expiring deals. What what can you go get? It, or is that only Levine? Is Are you only talking about, you know, if Levine's trade market doesn't materialize, you give up just essentially expirings for the Bulls to get off his contract? I mean, can you get a legitimate guy that's a little bit younger and on a similar timeline? Yeah, you definitely could. Eh? This is... It's a weird free agent class where if all these guys hit free agency, we'd be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Most of them aren't going to because it's like we already saw Kawhi signed his extension. Paul George is probably going to get an extension done. James Harden, probably not really realistic as he'll be a free agent, but we're not thinking of him as leaving. LeBron, not thinking of it that way. So most of the free agents, you're, you're already through the big, the the big name guys, right? You're already moving into tier two, tier three type free agents. So that's where I think the Pistons could be in a place to do a little pre-agency where it is, hey, we're going to spend that cap space. We're going to spend it now. We're going to go get somebody. Zach Levine, fine if you, if it's the right kind of trade because I think he could clearly help them a lot on the floor. Uh, again, you're going to have to just whatever the rest of this year is, you're just figuring stuff out. It's next year that he could be a major impact for them in helping them. But I don't want to go crazy in a trade like that. I'm not giving up Thompson. I'm probably not giving up Ivy. I'm not certainly not giving up any future first-round picks that are really juicy. Like I, I don't want to do any of that stuff because that gets that's I don't know that Levine helps that much on the contract he's on. But yeah, if it's true that his market is as barren as everybody keeps saying. Maybe he could sneak in there and grab him, and he's probably better than anybody you're just getting. You know, I'll, I'll write him free agency, and I think that starts over a little bit from the, is that better than just let's run out cap space by eating contracts for teams? To your question of does anybody have more expiring contracts, Philadelphia is the only other one. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. down to like Embiid, Maxi, and uh, Jaden Springer as potentially the only guys on the roster. Um, you know, beyond this season with a deal. So, but yeah, I mean, they're right there. They're right there with with everybody you know, in the mix with this. Okay, so I just want to put a cap on the Levine conversation because I feel like this is going to be a big talk. In your opinion, because I've listened to you and Trevor, and shout out Trevor as well. I forgot to mention him in the opening. Trevor Lane does an amazing job over there with you on the front office show. And if you're an LA Lakers fan, you should be listening to his pod as well. Would you... You wouldn't trade any real assets for Zach Levine if you're the Pistons. But in a scenario where the market is just dry, the Bulls say, hey, Kobe White is awesome. Patrick Williams has been playing better. The, the funny thing is the Bulls are in the playing range right now, which is very, very interesting in all of this. But if they just said, hey, the best we're going to do is expiring contracts to get off the Levine money. And, and maybe, again, the Pistons throw in a second round pick or something. Would you at least consider that? Does that make a little more sense for Detroit if that's truly kind of what it came down to, if that's the way the market developed for Zach Levine? Yeah, I think so. I, I would, if it, let's say it was something like Bogdanovich, Burks, and 
and Morris Harris, I, I don't know, whatever to make the, the math work. And it was bring back Levine. And maybe you got to take back a minimum deal as a balancer, just roster wise. But the Bulls do have an over roster spot. But whatever that may be, yeah, sure, I'm fine with that. Like that's that to me is you're not in really any different of a position cap wise. Yeah, you ate into your cap space a good chunk next year, but you got a guy who can play. I think it's been crazy the discourse around Zach Levine. Agreed. Over the last month or two where it's like all of a sudden it's turned into Zach Levine stinks. And that's like, what are we doing here? Like this guy's pretty good. I don't love the contract because of his age, some of the injury history stuff, but it's not, it's not like, oh man, we're destroyed and we're falling apart for life with this. And if you're the Pistons, this is the kind of shot you can make of let's, let's take on a little bit of money here. So I'm okay with that. I have no real issue with, you know, if you want to go get Zach Levine, I just don't trade the high upside kids in draft capital to do it. And maybe the Bulls do look at it and say, hey, we could use some of these vets to help move us forward in in this push, you know, forward. Because let's face it, I mean, being in the East playing conversations, it's, that's not any real accomplishment here, but the Bulls are firmly in it. So if they, that's where they want to go. And they, they're only three games under 500 now. If they're thinking... Get us to 500. We can maybe make the playoffs. Okay. Yo, that's no no issue with that if they wanted to do a trade like that. Because they're clearly, I don't think the Bulls are doing any real you know, sell-off or anything like that. I did see Andre Drummond's name mentioned in the <laughs> comments. It just, and that did make me kind of laugh. Because I'm like, that'd be, what talk, talk about coming full circle on this one. <laughs> So Don D TV says, why don't you all like Levine, him and Kate is perfect. Like, you know, I mean, I think the fit makes a lot of sense. Wes and I talk about this a lot in terms of this team needs a true bucket getter. Everybody will talk about Levine in terms of not being able to defend Keith and some of those other things. And I'm like, no, but right now having an off guard like Levine, I I think my question would be, could you play Levine, Ivy and K together? What does that do with Jaden Ivy? That, That would probably be the bigger thing in terms of if you could do it in the context we're talking about where you're just selling off expiring contracts. But you're right. I think the disc, I watched the game recently. Levine was rebounding. He was being impactful there. I don't think he's this ultimately selfish player. You know, he's letting Kobe White cook, which, you know, shout out Kobe White as well for the season he's having right now. But yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Before we go to break, I want to touch on this one real quick and then we'll kind of regroup again, see how Amari's doing, if he's living life over there, okay? He didn't even react to that comment, so he may have us mute. No, I'm, I'm here. here. Not, I'm, here. Is. I'm here. I'm here. I am, yeah, literally still texting people getting F1 to trade and I'm probably going to have to hop in and start riding gear soon. So I'm not going to leave the broadcast, but I probably will be a little bit more quiet from this point on. I'll give Bryce the hands up if I have anything to hop in with. Amari, my, my, my wife and I Got share it. an office. And like mm. a couple of weeks ago, she took a picture and she's like, this is your work face. And you were making the same work face as I, I was making in that picture where it's like heads kind of down. You're really super focused and intense. So I, I get it, man. I've been there. Yeah, probably just like the super focused and since like <laughs> yep. quarterback and clutch time. That's it. Scenario yep. face, right? This is what it's all about for us in this area. We this don't get to play about. anymore. So, so this, is, this is like crunch time for us. I get it. Hey, when it's time to lock in, it's time to lock <laughs> in. You know. <laughs> I, I love, Listen, the right. Business Polls listeners are getting behind the scenes of everything. We, we can... Poor Wes, Keith, we threw out the whole outline. The outline is gone <laughs> that he put together. Luckily, we didn't have... A whole bunch of stuff. It essentially was just kind of, hey, let's talk these general things. But, you know, that's gone. Amari's working. 
luckily I have a little bit of experience hosting by myself or I would have been freaking out. So real quick here, Lowry Markinen, do you think he's even on the block first? Second, if he was, does Detroit even have close to the assets to make a move for him? They'd have to, I mean, it's Danny Ainge. So you're going to have to trade, you know, Cunningham and Ivy and every first round pick and Gore's children and you know, Weaver's <laughs> kids. And because it's just because it's Danny Ainge. But in, in reality, I don't think the Jazz are moving Markinen. I, I feel like he fits there. He's on a contract where they've got a lot of ways they can go with that. I, one of the popular series is they'll re- renegotiate and extend him in the summertime. And they'll, they'll, that's how they'll keep him in the fold. I think it would, it, without being ridiculous, like it just was a minute ago, you'd have to overpay significantly to get him. And that's probably not where I would go with that. Just because, I mean, the Jazz are playing really good basketball right now. They're, they've won, I think it's five in a row. They beat the Lakers last night. I think they're up to like ninth. In the West, I think they passed the Rockets with last night's win. So they're 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 moving in in a direction. But it's age. You know, age could wake up tomorrow and be like, eh, I don't want to be ninth in the West. Let's trade everybody and you know bottom this thing out even further. But they, they've got guys who can play. So that's a very long way of saying I don't think marketing's really in play unless it got ridiculous. And then at that point, you don't do it if you're Detroit. Okay, we're gonna go to a short break. When we come back, we'll we'll talk about some of the other names you guys have brought up. We'll look some there's some big picture things I still want to ask you, Keith. We'll get into all of that and a couple non-basketball things. I know we're in the middle of a trade right here, but I have some fun questions for you as well. I still want to ask. We'll get into all of that right after this. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. Omari is writing an article or texting everybody he knows. Uh, we're, we're not really sure, but Keith Pistons brings up Dejounte Murray. Says, "Go get Murray now." We'll still have thirty million in cap space this summer. I don't know if those numbers are correct based off. I mean, I know you can do. Looks like maybe quick math. That sounds right. Your thoughts on Dejounte Murray's market? What it would take to get Dejounte Murray for the Pistons? Is fit on this roster, cap space, all of that. Just some overwhelming thoughts on DeJounte Murray. Yeah, I like DeJounte Murray as a player. I It fits a little weird with, with the Pistons. That might be one where I might be willing to talk about moving Jaden Ivey just because I don't know if you could play Murray, Ivey, and Cunningham together where I do think you could play those, th- those two in Zach Levine together. Because I think you have some real size there. You're, you're, you're okay with that. I don't hate the idea of Murray. I, I would, you know, let's let's see, right? A lot of it comes down to what's your internal evaluation on Jaden Ivey into a slightly lesser degree Thompson, right? Are, are you in a spot where Thompson is, we see him more as a two that can maybe play the three sometimes. What do we think Ivey is? What do we think Cunningham is? I think the door is still very open for Cade Cunningham. You could just because of his size, you could go to a place where he's a play initiating wing 
and, yeah. and you don't have to play him at the point guard spot. And you you could go with more of a real point guard like Mari and be okay. I, I just those two guys together, you're going to be a little stressed shooting wise. You got to keep shooters then around them. Then you're going to have those two enduring. That means your your other two starters, they got to be knockdown shooters. Otherwise, the floor is just going to get too too compressed and it's going to be too hard for them to get in the spaces where those two guys, because they live in a lot of the same areas, right? They're mid-range killers who can make some three-pointers. So that just becomes the question of, you know, do we like Murray more than we like Ivy? And if we do, then maybe you move Ivy as the piece there. You can get their salary matching wise. He only makes $18 million this year. So that's, that's not too hard. You're talking about Burks and Ivy and you're there. Yeah, it's another one of those. Let's not go crazy with what we're wanting to give up for him. But if the right deal is there, sure. And into a uh, uh, big dog pistons comment, you're you're there cap space wise too. You'd still have probably yeah, in the range of about 30-ish million uh to play with next year. And that's that's not nothing, right? You're still in a spot where you could really maybe do some stuff. And that's 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 a great place to be as well. Keith, let me just ask you about Jaden Ivey in general. You you touched on it a little bit at the top, you know, kind of, you know, we, we joked about the playing time and all of that. You know, we've talked about DeJounte Murray, which essentially would send Jaden Ivey out if that trade happened or at least make the rotation a little bit weird. We talked about Zach Levine, which again could make the rotation weird. At least I lean a little bit more into... I don't mind the idea of a two guards and Cade as a defensive three, at least, you know, playing as the small forward defensively, even though he would still be the primary initiator. I, I know not everybody is a fan of that. Wes and I have gone back and forth about this a lot. Where are you at with Jaden Ivey? Because I've said about four weeks straight, I think Jaden Ivey's really good at basketball and I still have all of my Jaden Ivey stock and I will take anybody who wants to sell it. But how Monty has handled him and some of the comments he's made and those things make me question whether I know ball or not. So wh- where are you at with just Jaden Ivey, the player, kind of getting rid of any of this trade talk and some of that stuff? Bryce, you know ball, man. We we all know well, that. Thank you. So I'm not. Yeah, I like Jaden Ivey too, and I would not be just giving up on him or making him a throw-in in trades or anything like that. And I, I know from my conversations around the league, there are other teams that value him quite a bit. And there was some conversation when he wasn't playing regular minutes for the Pistons because he was you know, coming off the bench and getting 10 minutes one night and just his role was all over the place. There were teams that were thinking, maybe we can swipe this guy because we don't know what they're thinking about him for the future. I, yeah, I want to see him, the trajectory he showed as a rookie as far as his shooting ability, because this year's been a mess. I'm willing to, to write that off to his role's been inconsistent. His playing time's been all over the place. The team's been messy. I'm willing to write that off, but 30% three-point shooting's not going to cut it. He's got to get, ideally, he's got to get into the high you know, 30s, low 40s to really be something. But I think it's, if you can at least get, get back into that mid-30s range, which is where he was pushing towards at the end of last season, then we're okay. So that's my worry with, like, if you're going to build a foundational lineup, if let's say you traded for DeJounte Murray and kept Jaden Ivey, now you've got Murray, Ivey, Cunningham, and Duran. The fourth shooter needs to be Kyle Corver levels of shooting good to balance yep. the floor. You're just it's, it's not enough shooting to have on the floor. You're, you're going to struggle. I don't mind it, too. Maybe Ivey's upside, and people hate when you make this comment on guys, and I don't get it. Maybe his highest upside value is scoring combo guard off the bench 
sure. on a really good team. And I don't understand why people get so upset about that because Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams had really long, good, lucrative NBA careers in that exact role. And they were valued guys for 20 years almost for each of them. So it's that's where I'm like, yeah, if that's where Ivy lands, fine. Right. Like, I have no issue with that. Like, if that's ultimately what it is and that's why you keep around, because it's like hey, he's the third guard in a Murray Cunningham Ivy rotation. Now we're talking, we're building from strength there, right? That That's pretty good mix. And then that still frees you up to keep more shooting on the floor at the other spot. So, yeah, I, I'm okay with that, but I, I'm still all in on Jaden Ivey. Well, and the thing is, if you do that, then he can play on ball a little bit more as well if he's that second unit combo guard. And yeah, yeah I said that at one point as well. I, I didn't think bringing him off the bench at the start of the year made sense. You know, especially I think a lot of that was people were going, it's Killian Hayes playing over him on top of him coming off the bench. My thing was at a certain point, I don't care if he starts, he just needed the minutes. It was like some of the rotation decisions in general were puzzling. And as you just said, if he ends up being the six, like a true six man that he's the Malik Monk, who I think has been really good. Amazing this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, And different players, but that kind of player, I think that's really, really value. And Michael says... You know, Ivy hasn't proven he can consistently shoot 100%. I don't even know that he needs the on-ball shooting. He shot decent. He shot well on unguarded catch and shoots last year, and he hasn't this year. That's been a real part of why it hasn't looked as well. And recently, he shot too many as well. His shot diet has seemed to be a little bit weird. So I'm going to take a few questions. Can I say something real quick on that? Absolutely. So last started very slow uh, last season. But his last three months of the season, which was 26 games, he was at 42% in February, 35% in March, and 38% in April from three. This is just his three-point shooting. That's that's pretty good. That's where I was starting to get super encouraged with Jaden Ivey because it felt like his early shot diet was a lot of drives to the rim, contested shots, plays where he got in the paint, but then he was taking tough fallaways and those kind of things. Then it seemed like he figured out, hey, if I can move it, then it'll come back around to me. I'll shoot the spot-up shot, as you said, unguarded. You know, he's good. So that's where I feel pretty good about that, and that's where I'm okay with him. I don't I don't love lineups where he is, this is it, it's just him. You gotta, you, sure. You're the guy. Yeah. But if he's out there with, let's say it was Cunningham, or Murray, Cunningham, or Levine, and he can be a second of two creators in the lineup, I'm fine with that. That's why, yeah, if his, his role ends up being third guard, no no issue with that because still you can still get 25, 30 minutes a night in that role, and that, that allows you to use some different stuff. And you could even play, hey, if we need to close with more creation and ball handling, we get Hyvie, Cunningham, whoever that third guy is on the floor at the end of games, that's even better too. I love the Vinny Johnson comment. We know Pistons fans will will you know they'll appreciate a good six man. Hey, if you you can get one, maybe that's where Ivy's destiny ultimately is. I think the rest of this year as things lay out, yeah, let them get on ball reps. It might be messy, but who cares? It doesn't matter. This is not about winning games anymore. This is just about experience. Well, and the thing is, he's another guy that I think gets this tag as selfish for some reason. He's very unselfish. It, his issue with his passing is he's actually like a truly bad passer. Some people like <laughs> yeah. don't see the floor. Jaden can't figure out the nuance of his passes. He'll throw it super, super hard or way too high or off target or those type of things. But Keith, I'm telling you, 
I watch a lot more NBA in general this year because of the other podcasts I do. There's not many guys that get to the lane and pressure the lane as easily as Jaden Ivey. And that's really valuable in this league. And I just, I hate to give up on a guy that is doing that in year two. And he's also shown improvement defensively. He's not a good defender. He's not even neutral yet. Like, don't get me wrong. But it went from atrocious as a rookie to at least like, hey, here's some flashes of good on-ball reps. He's he's actually found this nuance in offensive rebounding over the last 10 or 12 games. Yeah, he's, like he's, find, he's finding ways to win on the margins. And I'm like, there's growth here in what you've talked about in terms of in a season where the lineup stuff has been weird for him. Yeah, I need to see him learn how to pass to a big man because sure. I've watched way too many games where he's – he breaks down the defense, and then it's like, let me rifle this ball to the big who's four feet away from me on the other side of the lane. And it's like, dude, just lay it off to him. Just just drop yeah. it off to the guy and let the guy put it in the basket. So that's, to your point, that's the nuance of passing, right? But he had to play in a game, it was a couple of nights ago, I can't remember who they played. He got into the paint, and he made a high-level read where his first read was to kick it to the corner, and they the, the wing defender dropped to the corner to take it away. And he made one of those hook passes out to out to the wing. I can't. I I think it might have been Bogdanovich, and he missed the jumper. So it's one of those things where everybody's going to be like, yeah, whatever. I don't like. There was not not no no basket got made. But those are the plays where I'm like, oh, he saw it. He saw the defender drop, and now he found the right pass, and he put it on time with the right amount of zip. I just want to see that consistently now. So that should be. I want to see him and Duran. For as long as Cunningham is out, I want to see the two of them run 25 pick and rolls a game. Just find out what happens, right? Maybe you're mixing a few with Stewart. Maybe you're mixing a few kind of small, small pick and rolls with Bogdanovich where you have the pop threat. I just let, let's see what it looks like. You know, let's see what it looks like. Run those with Stu or Duran or Wiseman, no longer Bagley, but one of those guys in the dunker spot and go. Like, I, I, I you know, again, not, I don't care if it looks messy and all that. Just let, let him get the reps. And now if I'm the Pistons, then I know, all right, you're not going to be that on-ball creator. But five assists a game last year as a rookie is nothing to sneeze at for a guy who's not really a point guard, right? Like that's that that's impressive stuff, and that's all still in there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I we're, we're taking some hate in the comments. I don't know. I feel like we're talking very positively about Jaden Ivey. I feel yeah. like we're two big fans. I, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's coming across the wrong way. But uh, let, let's kind of finish off here with some some quick hitters. Uh, Omari, real quick, anything, any, any news, anything you can tell us or, or no? Yeah, it's mostly really it is just a, a table setting trade. I think it was important for the front office to create the cap space now just to be able to you know say we have this space now we're ready to deal and where they go from here i think remains to be seen but they do have something in mind you know i think the key the key number here is two i think they're looking to add two significant pieces and divide that third that 60 million up one way or another first they have all these, these expiring deals too with bogey and burks and joe harris and monte morris so you know, they have the the tools to do something over the next few weeks. We'll see teams either decide to double down on competing or decide, hey, we're not playing too well. Maybe we should sell off. You know, I, you know, I'm sure there's a few teams that come to mind when I say that. So where things go from here over the next three weeks, we'll see. But the Pistons feel like they are in position to 
make some stuff happen and they have this, this space and we'll see what happens from here. So I was told this is a first step trade. So we'll see what the next steps are. You know, right now they accomplished the goals of just the cap space, getting a couple more vets into a team that clearly needs some more adults. And then also, I think it's a pretty direct acknowledgement that you don't need Bagley, Duran, and Wiseman on the same team as well. All right, Keith, real quick, Doug McMiniman, not Dave. Are there any potential luxury tag teams that the Pistons could do business with to help the unbalanced roster? Yeah, I mean, you could see uh, more like the the Pelicans are going to get out of the tax. They're like two something million over. Kyra Lewis seems like the 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 move there. So we, we could see something uh, like that that happens. Detroit actually saves, if I'm right, saved, saved a little bit of money here. So they may have dipped back under the, the cap. Again, I have not, obviously, I have not sat down and run everything yet. They were sitting about $1.5 million over. I think they sent out about, looks like they sent out about $14 million. I know they did bring $14 million back in this trade. So that, that could be something where they do a move so like is that. that a of, t- do they create a trade exception or not since it goes under have, the salary? I'll have to get into it and run it. Because what will happen in this trade is, you're probably going to see, so this is just a little education piece here. Teams are allowed to break up trades in whatever way is most impactful. Oh, that's for right. Them. So what you're going to actually see is the Pista, they they may they could have created a couple fairly large trade exceptions in this trade. So what you could see happen is the, the Wizards are sitting on a Porzingis trade exception of about $12.3 million. That's enough to bring in Bagley. And then... It delivers deal is so small. There's any number of ways you could get there. So I think that's that's what we'll we'll see. That's very likely. That's how this happened. And, and just to 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 uh, clear it on this, they only brought in about ten point three million in this trade. So they cleared about four million under the cap. If they create trade exceptions, they still can operate as an over the cap team. To be clear, this is only for the rest of this regular season. If they go trade exception route, or they could go the four million. And then if they buy out Gallinari or they make another unbalanced trade somewhere down the line and open a roster spot to answer uh, Doug's question, that could be where you say, hey, we'll eat Kyra Lewis's contract, recoup one of the seconds we just sent out to do that. And I, and I think that's the kind of move you could see them make because that helps the Pelicans and you end up in a spot where we're, no, we're, we're not negatively impacted on the cap because you just let Lewis's contract expire, let him move on after the season, and now you recoup one of the seconds you sent out in this trade. So I, I think we're going to see – I'm only going there because I know the Pelicans are trying hard to get under the tax line, but that's probably where we could be headed. Got you. Listen, guys, it was amazing having Keith on for this. There's a bunch of questions I would love to ask Keith, but we would be here for more hours. <laughs> I, I have a couple of fun ones, though. And, and I, listen, someone has put Najee Marshall in the chat. Like, I do like Najee Marshall, uh, by yeah, the way. Yeah, the only problem with Najee Marshall is he doesn't – that doesn't – there's two two pieces there. One, you're going to have to then figure out if you want to re-sign him and his, where's that going to go for you. Not a big cap hold, so not a huge issue. But your other piece is that doesn't actually get the Pelicans under the luxury tax line. Uh, so gotcha. they got to do a slightly bigger salary to get under the tax line. So, but yeah, I mean, if you could swipe Najee Marshall in a trade where you eat a salary, yeah, let's go. I mean, that could could be the way. You could also do a trade where you send the Pelicans something. You know, maybe maybe they they maybe they let I don't know. Jordan Hawkins just went bananas last night, so maybe I they don't it. necessarily want an Alec Burks, but maybe you could do something like that uh, where it's a little bit more unbalanced and you you trade a guy away. But yeah, could could be interesting.
All right, real quick, completely non-basketball. Mac and cheese, Keith, where do you stand on this? Because this has been a major contentious topic on the Pistons Pulse podcast. And I've, listen, I take heat for different takes. I've taken more heat for my mac and cheese. I've never deleted a tweet unless like I just mistyped or something. A picture of my Thanksgiving lunch is the only tweet I've ever deleted because of the comments that I was getting. So mac and cheese, we got to get your thoughts. I love mac and cheese. Like I'm, I'm a big mac and cheese fan. I, I prefer like the homemade mac and cheese that has like breadcrumbs toasted on top. But I eat craft mac and cheese out of the box. I grew up on that stuff. Thank you. So I will, I will eat that stuff. But yeah, mac and cheese is great. It's, it, it's, you know, I also there's been times where it's like, hey, like this is just tell, probably tells like the way I grew up as a kid. Cook up a couple of hot dogs, cut them up, throw them in, throw them in yeah. some mac and cheese and call it, call it a day or even eat them on a bun and throw the mac and cheese on top. Like, yeah, mac and cheese is good stuff. So my take was, I just, I don't really care. I don't need homemade. I don't need whatever. Like I'll eat Kraft mac and cheese. It's all the same to me. And I took a lot of hate for that. Oh, it's so, not all the same. That, that's so a that, crazy. There you go. So that was it. <laughs> and me and Omari were in Denver here last week and we went out to a restaurant. We got mac and cheese and it was really, really good. So I had to come on. I held my own receipts. <laughs> I, I put them out to everybody and, and had to admit, Wes says growing up, me and my sisters ate mac and cheese, <laughs> corn and hot dogs. So yeah, interesting. All right. Last thing, because you guys brought up this name on your pod, Omari, real quick, because we're about to end the pod, then you can do your real job. Do you know the name Henry Rowan Gardner, Omari? Henry Rowan Gardner. I don't think I do. (laughs) So Keith, I was listening to you guys and you brought this up and I started laughing because you and Trevor said that was a movie from when we grew up. And I was like, Oh, okay, nice. Like me, Keith, Trevor, we're all the same age. And then I started thinking about it as like, Amari's younger than us. I bet there's no way Amari <laughs> knows who this is and what the reference is. So Keith, I guess you can just give him a little bit of the background. Amari, were you like, was that that big white dude that had a cup of coffee with the fish just years ago? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Henry Ellenson, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Henry Rowengardner's from uh, Rookie Rookie of the Year, right? I think is what it's called. Yeah. It's a baseball movie. Essentially, this kid... He's a Cubs fan. He, I can't. Does he fall off his bike or something happened? I can't. Some to his elbow. He breaks his arm. Yeah. And in the process of doing the surgery on his arm, his ligament somehow became so tightened and strong he can throw like 120 miles per hour. And he catches a home run in Wrigley Field, and you know at Wrigley Field it's throw it back, right? If anybody hits a home run, so he like from the bleachers throws it on a line to home plate, and then the Cubs sign him. And then that's where it goes. It's I don't know that it's a Disney movie, but it's like it's it's a Disney movie. Even if Disney didn't make it, where it's in all this ridiculous stuff starts. But yeah, oh, Henry Disney of spirit. And there's like a it's is it the pitch, pitching coach or the manager? One of the guys can't say his last name, so there it goes. Yeah, like Russian Blazer, Russian Blazer, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's yeah. So all right, yeah. I just was like, it, it made me think about the the this is a different timeline that Omari and I are on whenever we're we're talking about movies and and stuff like that. So Omari, you you do your thing, Keith. <laughs> man, thank you so much. I listen. I couldn't I couldn't think of a better way, like a, a better way for this to go down and for this to happen and for us to be able to do this. So appreciate you so much. Not that everybody doesn't already know, but 
let everybody know where they can find you, all your work, where you're right. Because it sounds like you'll be writing about this trade at some point, your podcast, everything that they should be tuning into. Yeah, the goal will be to have something up early afternoon on this trade on Track. So we're doing something new this year over on Track. You can find all my written work there. I'm going to write a, they write a, yeah, lobster mac and cheese. That is amazing. Like that's a hundred percent a home run. And they should still be named the Red Claws. They should not have changed the name to the Maine Celtics. But anyway, I'll be writing about this. What I was saying, we're doing something new on this year. I'm going to write a reaction piece to every single trade that goes down. Small salary dumps, whatever they are. I'm going to write, you know, a reaction piece. It might only be a few paragraphs. If you know me, probably not. But yeah, I'm going to do that over on Track. Sneak preview, we're um, going to be running a whole bunch of trade debt deadline content, buyers and sellers and all sorts of stuff leading up to the trade deadline here over the next couple of weeks. So uh, look for that over there. And then you can find me and, as Bryce mentioned, Trevor Lane, uh, Monday through Friday, every day on the NBA front office show. Monday through Thursday, we do recorded shows. And then every Friday, we do what we call Front Office Friday, which is a live show just like this on YouTube where you can tune in and watch and ask questions. And we have a lot of fun. Sometimes the show goes completely off the rails, but but we, we have a great time, time with that. We, we try to keep the energy up, keep it a little light, have some fun on those Front Office Friday shows. But you can find, find, find us over there. It, Bryce, I appreciate you mentioned it off the jump. We are so close to 30,000 subscribers. So if you like transactional talk and NBA news and rumors and all that stuff, Hit us up over there on Front Office Show. Tune in and you'll know, get get in there and subscribe to the show. And you, you'll, I promise you, you, it'll be worth every dollar you paid for it, which is zero dollars. So that that works out. <laughs> Amari, sorry, yeah, man. No, I'm, not, I'm hey, sorry, Amari. No, no apologies needed. This I appreciate is, so your is, sacrifice and letting us cook, <laughs> but I'm sorry. No, this. Hey, you know, I am. I personally am happy the Pistons made the trade while we had Keith Smith on. <laughs> that was perfect timing. We got to see Keith do his magic live and tap into all of his expertise as just as far as cap and the league and everything as a whole. So Keith, we really appreciate having you on. As always, it's always a pleasure and an an honor. Uh, You guys got to see behind the scenes of my job a little bit, which is mostly just me staring, going back and forth between my phone (laughs) and my computer for a few hours as I confirm and find news and do all of that. And we got the, you know, I would have been really hurt if we finished recording with Keith and the trade happened after. Oh, so man. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to the Pistons front yes, office thank for, you. <laughs> for saving us there. And, you know, of course, as, as always, we love having Keith on and we'll try to have you on at some point again, you know, maybe after the deadline or this summer, after some more moves are done. And with that, I will go ahead and close this out. So big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, our executive producer, Azadette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. And a big shout out to Wes, as always. And we'll talk to you all next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.